keep peace. Hello everyone and welcome to this new edition of Wag the Dog FM. This week we'll talk about internal communications and again I've got a great guest uh, for this session. I invited Liam Fitzpatrick. He is the author of a book called Internal Communications, a manual for practitioners. He wrote it together with uh, his colleague Klaus Valskov and uh, Pamela Mounter. And a strange coincidence, but the series editor of, uh, of that book is uh, Professor Anne Gregory. In fact, the invitee of my very, very first podcast way back in 2006. So that closes the, the whole circle kind of thing. Um, Liam is, uh, has worked as a consultant and an in-house person running uh, change campaigns, uh, developing teams, advising on evaluation. He's also the co-author of the Definitive Competency Model for Internal Communicators and he co-founded the Black Belt series for training for internal communicators. So this guy is... 200% internal comms, uh, he's a fellow of uh, the UK Chartered Institute of PR and uh, also a member of the Global Certification Council for the International Association of Business Communicators. So this is a true PR colleague specialized in internal comms and we chatted for, let's say, a good half an hour about internal communications and what it takes to work with senior leadership inside the organization, pushing those messages, creating those messages, talking about storytelling and all these things. So I hope you will enjoy this one. Here we go. So Liam, welcome on the Wag the Dog episode here about internal communications. Liam, let's start off. I mean, internal comms is a really interesting subject to me. I'm much more an external comms guy, so I would rather prefer to have a crisis thrown at me than having to develop an internal communications strategy because I think it's in the whole range of communications to me it looks like one of the most difficult ones what is your take do you see do you think that is one of the most challenging parts of communications that internal one well yeah it's funny you should say that because originally my I, originally I actually was a media relations specialist and I kind of fell into internal comms by by pure default by pure chance and I mean it was interesting because I got roped in to work on a project and I could you know, tell the whole story sometime, but, and it was, I got roped in because they said, Oh, you can write and we need someone who can do a nice newsletter. And it was a really complicated project. And I think I got to edition three of the newsletter and I realized I was wasting my time mm -hmm. and no one was reading the newsletter. If they were reading it, nothing was changing. And that kind of, got me interested because I could it just started me thinking well hang about what does it take to change the way people behave at work so that was so I'd say um I wouldn't say it's any more difficult than than other branches of internal comms uh, other branches of comm but what I would say the thing that makes it a little bit more challenging in some respects is that you're dealing with a highly educated stakeholder group um, I always think that whilst, you know, if you ring a journalist up and you deal with a journalist, they may be an expert in your sector, they may know a bit about your company, but they, they don't know everything, whereas employees do. And so they have, they know a lot more. Then you have the added problem is that if you talk to a journalist, they're not going to go and make life-changing decisions based on what you're going to tell them. The most they're going to do is file a story, whereas 
employees go and make decisions about, you know, about where they're going to live, about where they're going to put the kids in the school, do they get married, do they not? And and when you've got that level of personal investment, there is they become, as an audience group, incredibly demanding. So the ability to just throw stuff away at them or just, you know, just pump stuff at the audience, you can't get away with it. So I think it makes them more challenging. Is it is it more difficult than than other bits of comms? No, I mean, I, I certainly would never be able to, you know, I, things like public affairs has always been a mystery to me as has <laughs> consumer PR. I just, you know, it's, but, so I think, but I think that's the challenge. It's mm. audience, the audience is well-informed and it's hype and it's hypersensitive. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you mentioned something uh, that I think is crucial. It's, it's at the end of the day in one way or the other, it's about changing behavior uh, in, 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 in one way or the other. That is another one that's, that's, that's rather important. And then I think there's another aspect, which I think is that, as you mentioned, people take decisions of maybe moving to another place where they're going to put kids at school, as you say. So there is this huge responsibility as well from, from a company towards their employees and how they communicate and, and, and hopefully in a transparent way so that people can make educated decisions on what is in fact their private life as well, because you know, let's, yeah, yeah. let's face it. I mean, we spend oh, more yeah. time at work than at home. So, yeah, and none of us wants to have to go home and say to our partner, "Darling, you know, I, you know, I told you everything was going great to work, but we've, you know, they've just closed my plant." Yeah. You know, and you know, had you, you know, had you, and the human human impact you have with something like that is, you know, you know, you send out, you know, no one ever dies because you, you know, well, I don't know. <laughs> the human impact you have from that conversation, but the you know, is it? The, would you have the same with a press release? Um, yeah, I'm just thinking someone probably has died in history because of a because bad, of a press release. <laughs> yeah. But you know, I mean, it's just it's it's it kind of the way it works. Is I think is that is that people you know you have a responsibility, and your audience is hypercritical. They they kind of listen very carefully. They read between the lines of what you said. And, yeah. yeah, I think that makes it. It makes it a challenge, and it makes it. Um, I think you have, it's a slightly different mindset. In you have to develop mm-hmm. about when you're putting stuff out. You can't just go, oh well, you know, people will believe that. Yeah. And I think one of the, but I think one of the things where it is very similar to other branches of comms is, is in one really key area. Uh, and I, uh, if you want me, I'll come back to it later. Which is this: if you work in comms, you essentially, I always say, essentially, you're a bridge. You're a bridge between two populations, between an organisation and the people with whom it wishes to have a relationship. Um, and a comms person, their value lies in understanding the two ends of the bridge. Um, and in the same way as a, a media relations professional, I just simply understand how the press are interested in a story, what me, what you know, which journalists might particularly be interested in what angle. That's, yeah, what will fly, what uh, will not fly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and actually, the organisation respects them for that because they invest time in that knowledge and those relationships. Good internal communicators are known, in my opinion, first and foremost, for the depth of their understanding of the people on the front line. Yeah. Um, that's what they're known for, first and foremost. They're known for, uh, you know, if the CEO turns around and says to says to a group of people, what's, you know, what are people in the front line thinking at the moment? It's the good internal communicator who says, 
well, what they're saying is X. And and if I think about people who've worked with me over the years, one of the best people I ever had working for me was a very heavy smoker. Uh, I'm not suggesting smoking is, is, is a good idea, kids. Uh, but what she did was if you wanted to speak to her, she could either pick the phone up or she could walk to see you and that would be a cigarette there and a cigarette back. But the result was that she knew on the way she'd stop, meet some people, chat to them. And the result was she, she knew everything that happened on that particular site. Yep. And you'd get these moments where you'd ring her up and ask her what's happening at Coventry. And she'd tell you, and you, and you knew you could trust, you could, you could bet your life on, on what she was telling you. And I was thinking, and then the chief executive used to go to her quite a lot because he wanted to know what people really thought. And he, everyone knew that she was the person. So I think that's what makes us really potent. Yeah. yeah. And I, you know, I can confirm that again, a small disclaimer here. Uh, we're not saying that you have to start smoking, but I stopped um, nine months ago. Okay. And I, and I already feel that there is a disconnect because it is true when you gather with people in a non-official setting, like having a smoke and everybody has, I mean, smoke or a coffee. If you take coffee outside and not in the official settings of your, of your office, of your, your floor, what have you, um, that's where the real stories happen. And, and I always say that that's what almost, you know, real internal, true internal communications is. It's not the letter of the CEO dropping down somewhere in a mailbox. I do think it's the, it's the discussions people have when they have a coffee, when they have a smoke, when they're having lunch together, of course, and when they're talking about the company. Um, and uh, no, I can I can completely relate to what you said about your uh, your colleague. Yeah, definitely. One one thing I want to talk about uh, with you specifically is 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 uh, middle management and senior management, which yeah, again, I think is 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 crucial in in how um, internal communicators work with them. Um, uh, let's let's start with a difficult one. I think for me, at least, it's a difficult one. I have the impression that good internal communications plans often fall short with middle management. And I have my ideas on why that would be. But first of all, is that your experience? Is, is middle management uh, trained, educated, skilled enough to be part of a really, truly active internal communications strategy? I think it's a really interesting issue, actually, because if I think back, uh, 20 years ago, when I first started working in internal comms, I remember making a presentation to the executive team of the project I was working on at the time. And um, the reactions I got were, well, I don't see why we have to make an effort. We employ people. It's their job to be interested. Or... um, I don't. I don't see why I should motivate. You know, why should I motivate people? Frankly, I pay them to come to work, and I expect them to find the motivation themselves. I, those were the typical comments, and yeah. and they were not that unusual. Um, now, I think you would never. I don't think you'd hear a senior leader saying anything like that. I think everyone who who is in a senior leadership position in vast majority of in the vast majority of organisations knows what. That internal comms matters. They know that. The problem they've got is they don't know how to do it. That's the that's the fundamental problem. And that they sometimes ha- think that actually they can get away with with sort of propaganda that would you know that would make North, the North Korean government blush. <laughs> and it, and it's sort of so. I think the the issue is that senior leaders get in the way because 
they they want to do it, but they they're not well advised. So who's to blame there? And the the other, and I think the, the I think the blame, and this may be grossly unfair, but quite often when you hear people complaining about senior leaders not getting or not supporting them as communications managers, I think sometimes you look at them and think, yeah, but are you are you the sort of person the chief executive wants to talk to? Yeah. Um, are you the sort of person who is bringing something to the relationship? Mm-hmm. The chief executive says, or the senior leader or whatever, says, you know, I've got to get Liam in the room because if I don't, there's some really key information to this decision I want to make that's not going to happen. Or actually, um, Liam can make it easier for me or or Liam can actually make sure that um, make sure that what I really want to say comes out. Yeah. And, and quite often... Um, what you'll find is that when presented with the opportunity to sit down with senior leaders, a lot of people in our in our field will take the opportunity to talk about their concerns. They'll say, well, I'm trying to do a website and it's not working or um, not enough people are listening into the, you know, the WebEx or yeah. uh, they'll discuss, you know, the fact that no one, you know, no one, no one turns up for team briefing. Yeah. Things which actually aren't really the chief executive's concern. The chief executive wants to know, you know, how do I get people to stay, to stay, you know, to work harder, to say the right things about the business? And and we come with our concerns. Yeah. And and we also and we also have expectations of them in a kind of a parent child sort of way. And I think that's that's the challenge. So I'm not saying this is always the the universal case, but I think in a lot of cases we should look at ourselves if we're not getting the relationship with the boss mm. that we want. Yeah. Are we, are we doing the right stuff to have that relationship? Yeah. When, when in your book, you're talking about the four C's of, um, of that kind of executive communications. It's, uh, you know, clear and compelling, connected, committed, and consistent. Um, yeah. is, I've, You've I've, got 100, page 143 open as well. Uh, yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, so people can follow and we'll uh, send them the book or they can win the book on the podcast, of course. We'll arrange that afterwards. Um, but um, having worked with, with senior leaders also a bit on their internal comms, the, the consistency and the commitment is a bit difficult to get from them, right? I mean, because let's face it, we could tell them that, you know, it needs to be consistent and, and, and there needs to be a certain commitment, but... They don't have the time, you know. They've got a company to run, and those kind of excuses. So, how 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 would you advise a our internal comms people here uh, who are listening to the show? I mean, how because I I know it is a problem to get that you know executive to make room for good internal comms. So, what what would your yeah. advice be? Well, I, I think the uh, I mean, I think the. the my experience with the, on the consistency point is actually relatively straightforward. Mm-hmm. I, I think as an argument, I would I would imagine most senior leaders would accept without too much debate the fact that well, their mission in life is to is to paint a vision and to drive the organisation towards it. What tends to happen is that most CEOs they, they there's that saying isn't there that most CEOs in Europe. European companies have a shorter tenure than the manager of a, a British and English premiership uh, yeah. you know, manager. And so 
organizations when the vision change tends to change the change the leaders which is which is the case um so actually our job is to show i th- i think is to make is to be almost like their guardian and because the thing with the very very senior leaders is quite often uh, there's a lot of people trying to communicate on their behalf or blame their communications on what the boss says so our mission is to broadly say you know if we say the things that matter to us are, you know, if, if we're going to say stuff like um, customers are the most important thing for us, then our job is to sit there and point out that um, this particular policy is anti-customer or this particular initiative makes it more difficult for employees to deliver a great customer experience or indeed actually that particular communication is ambiguous and says that, uh, you know, and says it's okay to be rude to customers in certain yeah, circumstances. Yeah, yeah. So our job is to be, is to make sure that people hear the organisation talking, delivering the same message over and over again, and and you know to remove ambiguity, and to make sure that when the chief executive speaks, it's about the stuff that matters. Because that's the other that's the other problem is that. Time and again, I've sat in on project teams and they believe the solution to the fact that no one's interested in their project is they haven't got a public endorsement from the chief executive. Yeah. Which is fantastic if you're talking about a major restructuring of the corporation and, you know, but, it was, you know, when it's a new menu in the canteen or, you know, a new policy for the use of, uh, you know, laser printers on the third floor, then really do we, you know. Yeah, would, do you really need? <laughs> yeah, would you get the Queen talking about that? No, you know, so it's so part of our job as well is to use them, is to make sure that they're used to good effect in a few moments of, of, because the crucial point here is that people trust people. They don't trust organizations. And what they, what they want is they want a relationship with the guy who's making the decisions, be that locally or, or at, the, at the top. And they want to, for the things that matter, they want to look at the boss and go, is he or she a good guy? Can I trust him? I don't understand all this strategy stuff. I don't understand the finance stuff. But, that you know, she seems to know what she's talking about. She's quite nice. Uh, she, you know, she, she seems to understand my world. Yeah, okay, I'll trust her. Okay, yeah. I'll go with. I'll go with it. And and I think our job is to make sure that they're not. We're not using them to pump out thousands of messages all over the place, which disrupts that clarity about what the boss is for and and the boss's value. Um, you see what I mean? In, Let me just. In- in, in that aspect, uh, I just had um, a session with, um, with a company and it was like the top 100 of the company kind of management team uh, thing. And on the scene, you had the, uh, the CEO and the COO. And one thing, it was a full day. It was a very long day. Um, strategy discussions and all these things. And then one thing that I saw, not just once, but several times during that day was that they were using imagery, which is was so far away from the day-to-day world of, of that company's employees that it was really undermining the messaging. I'll give you an explanation. It's, you know, 80% of those people in the room have a kind of sales function, sales position. But 100% of them were Belgian, right? And when talking about sales and going after the clients and you know, fighting the competition kind of thing, 
we had images, or the, the group had images shown at them of American Marines landing in Iraq, which is, to me, I understand what they want to say with that image, but come on, we haven't been in a war for the last, what, 90 years? The Americans have been in a war, they know what that means, and it's not even good to say that it's okay to use that in that context, but I found that so far away from, from the world that, that the employees, or and in this case, the management team was was um yeah was living in so it's it's sometimes i think and now to their excuse they don't really have internal comms advisors and internal comms people um but but do you see that when when imagery and storytelling is being used or techniques from storytelling which is you know a word coming more and more on the agenda now for communicators both internally and externally that it's not always the right imagery and it's not always the right setting yeah, that's that's a really really good point actually, um, and I, I I can think of a current situation I'm working with at the moment where that's exactly the issue, and uh, that's fundamentally the issue, and it's an organisation with a very very strong culture, and um, and there's a leader come in who is from a completely different sector, and has a very different experience, and 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 some of the language that that they're using, you think that's going to go down so bad. And I'm an outsider and I, I look at, but I think the, and I think the, um, someone, I went to a conference once and someone said something really, really engaging. They said, the moment you become a manager, your friends stop telling you stuff. <laughs> and as you go up the organization, people tell you less and less. And by the time you get to the top, you've got a whole organization devoted to lying to you or giving you a, you know, a version of the truth. Spin or, yeah. Yeah. Hey, it's cool. Yeah, you turn up in your new Porsche. You know, everyone will really, you know, no one's going to hold it against you just because we've done a redundancy program. You know, that's fine. You do it, you know. Or, you know, hey, why don't you talk about your yacht, your new yacht at the next, uh, you know, the next employee forum. That'll go down really well. Um, and you you do get a degree of, of that going on. And I think the, I think one of the things that we should, um, our mission is about, being that bridge point, coming back and being the connector between the real people and the leaders and giving them opportunities to... I'll give you an example. I worked years ago for a company that um, after two years of avoiding bankruptcy, restructured, and the new American owners said to the chief executive, we'd like to pay you a bonus of £24 million in four years' time, if you can get back some of the money that we've lost, you know, in this company. And so he was about to get a bonus of 24 million pounds. No one in the company had had a pay rise for two, three years. And um, interesting enough, we did, we did some town halls and I thought he was going to get killed. And he stood up and he just said, he was challenged about it by a regular engineer. And he, he said, very, very straight. He said, well, I'm not going to pretend it's fair. I'm not going to pretend it's equitable. But let me tell you why I've taken it. And he told the story and explained it. And he got asked the question three or four times. And he kept repeating, I'm not pretending it's fair. I'm not pretending it's an equitable, but I'm not apologizing. And let me explain what I've got to do to get the money and how it impacts on you. And, and what I then did is I then thought, well, actually, the smart thing to do then is how do we get him out to meet as many people as possible so that he's, he can listen to their concerns and they can actually make a judgment about it? So we did back-to-floor programs. We got the rest of the executive team out, meeting people and meeting customers. 
And I think that was for the business when we were polling, we could see where leaders had been because instead of them and the polling, people weren't, we weren't getting an uptick in things like, I understand the four point strategy of the yeah, business. Or the, yeah, yeah. What we were getting was an uptick in, I have confidence in our future. Um, Cause they were making judgments about the men and women they were meeting, but also what they would do that we were also getting over is further. We were reconnecting these people. So they were all talking to each other and leaders were hearing things from the front line they hadn't heard for three years because of the company going bust and, you know, them being locked away in head office. So I think that the crew is very long winded answer to your question. But, you know, we're connectors and that's our job. We need to connect those two audience groups and we need to be the voice of reason that says, really, do you, do you think, you know, do you think it's a good idea to show, you know, show a, show an audience of people in Saudi Arabia pictures of Marines landing in Iraq? Mm, you know. Yeah, there might be a cultural, yeah. No, yeah. I think and it's one of those things I'm so much, and, and you confirm that again, I mean, we communicators, be it internal, external, what have we, but towards our, um, you know, sea level and, and, and people we advise, we really have this, part to play which is the devil's advocate we are allowed and i think we should ask the difficult questions which nobody dares to ask uh because that's part of our role right yeah and and yeah and i think most of us are terrified to do that the first few times but once you know once we don't over long as you don't overstep the mark long as you know when to shut up long as you bring data uh you'll be respected for it mm -hmm. And I also think a lot of us would say, a lot of people would say, well, I don't know what the difficult question is. Well, well my experience is that actually, if you've spent a lot of time talking to people on the front line, it comes to you naturally, yeah. you know immediately. Uh, if you've never been out and talked to real people and done focus groups or been riding around in the trucks mm -hmm. with the different guys, you're never going to get it in a million years. Yeah, and I think that's definitely something that uh, that internal communicators uh, should should definitely do more often. I've I remember doing consulting um, for uh, Federal Express as a PR consultant. So in fact, I was only responsible. Well, only I was responsible mainly for the external comms. Uh, but but the very first thing they told me, well, you know, on your first day on this account, uh, you'll see you'll you'll work a whole day as a FedEx delivery guy, so that you understand. You know what what the core of the job here is. You'll spend some days uh, in Paris uh, at the distribution center, see the airplanes come down at six o'clock on the dot, and see how all those packages, etc. So that you understand what it is on the floor. Yeah. Uh, and and I do think it's it's crucial for any kind of communicator to uh, to experience that and meet people and on a regular basis, not just starting out, but on mm. a regular basis. Yeah. Yeah. Coming yeah, back, yeah, go ahead. Say, so if you go to McDonald's and you work at McDonald's, uh, every single level, your credibility in McDonald's depends on how much time you spend in restaurants. In, in restaurants, yeah. And, you know, the, the, there's a mandated rule that says you've got to spend a day a year in a restaurant. But the reality is actually these guys, you know, senior leaders in those businesses are out in those restaurants every week. Yeah. Uh, mopping floors, talking to customers, you know, looking at how the product's working. They're out there. They know that their business depends on what's going on. And, and there was a famous joke about there used to be uh, a supermarket manager, a uh, very famous uh, big chain of British supermarkets, 
and the chief executive there was so well known in the local branch of one of the major competitors. They knew him by first name. <laughs> and this wasn't just close to his own business. He was close to his competitors. He was going into the competitor's yeah. business all the time and go, so what are you selling? Well, you know, what, <laughs> what are customers saying to you? Have you seen many of my customers? And they, they, the guys just talked to him, you know, it's quite a famous you know, story. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, getting back to storytelling, it's a, it's a big hot topic. Uh, I, again, I, I don't really understand the whole fuzz about storytelling. Suddenly, uh, although I mean, because I simply think we've been telling stories for 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 many many years, and that we're specialists. It's our age. You know, we're part. It's part of our trade. But uh, but going back to the let's say the more modern um, storytelling types. I mean, a lot of internal communications today's. Is electronic. Let's, let's face it; it's not always the best thing. But um, we're talking about, you know, internets and all these things. Where does storytelling fit in there, and and how how do you see that being used in in companies? Um, well, I think it's. I, I I just think it's quite you know the way I've seen it used is is in that very very straightforward. Um, in that very straightforward, I was you know. This is my experience, you know, and telling a, a personal narrative about, and and I think for for senior leaders, most of the time, it's just about them bringing authentic experience to bear in 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 the discussion about you know what they're talking about. So rather than standing up with you know ten slides that's got you know financial results and EBITDA scores on it, actually saying you know. I was talking to a customer last month and it struck me that this was a mad idea or, you know, when I last did my, you know, when I was in the truck and, you know, at Paris doing the deliveries, um, it just, it, I found it really interesting that we, we were doing. So just being able to talk naturally about that. And I think that it goes straight to the heart of personal authenticity. Um, and I think, you know, if you can tell authentic stories uh, and you can structure them around, you know, you know, something as sensible and attractive then then yeah i think i think that's where it, where it fits in um i think and then it, it also allows in some cases but uh, the, the examples you're giving um I, i would then assume that employees from that company would be able to at least relate to some part or the whole story in the way well you know i'm driving a truck all day in paris so i recognize this story you've done it now so we've got both the same experience kind of thing yeah um, it's exactly that yeah And also, I mean, the other point is, but here's the crucial thing: you might be able to get away with a journalist if you hadn't done it. With an employee, they'll know if you haven't done it. They, they'll they'll know exactly. Yeah, they they'll know that by the details because they know exactly what's going on. Yeah. Funny enough, the just taking that, I mean, just to give you one example. That chief executive I mentioned before, who went the twenty four million pounds, we sent him to uh, install equipment one day. Uh, so our business was equipment for telephone exchanges. And we sent him for a day to install equipment. He went along. In the morning, they didn't talk to him. Lunchtime, they tried to drop things on his head. And in the afternoon, they started teasing him and joking with him and telling him stuff. And he came back. And we never published it on the internet or anything. But he came back and he said, it's interesting because by mid-afternoon, they were saying to me stuff like, hey, Mike, isn't it? we think it's really interesting. We've all got new shirts because you were coming. Or... Or one of the men said, it's really interesting. When we open all the boxes, all the right equipment's in there. Is that because you're here? They said, what do you mean? And they said, well, nine times out of ten, we can't complete an installation because the wrong equipment's in the box, which immediately made him think, hang on, 
that explains why that customer never pays us on time. So let's go, let, let's go and talk to the factory and explain why cash flow bloody matters to their jobs. And, but he, I heard him telling that story in a senior leadership meeting and it kind of basically didn't, it wasn't just his comms to the rest of the organization. It was him bringing that personal story back and saying, and that's bloody well why we've got to fix this problem. Yeah. And I remember that is quite potent actually. Yeah. yeah. And he went around the whole organization. Mike came down on, you know, Mike came down on the factories because he heard or he had this experience and that's how the story got told. Yeah. And, and, and then again, the, the role of the internal communicator here is to, to advise on this, but also to document uh, what we're doing. Oh, I see. I, I'm not so sure. I mean, I, I mean, there's, there's obviously a piece around cataloging it and, and, you know, making sure it's captured on video or on, you know, online or whatever. But I think the most potent stories are the ones that take off as because they've got a myth to them. Mm -hmm. And they happen when you've created the situations where the boss can go and have the experience or people can go and meet the boss. Um, and um, so I think, you know, on the one level, yeah, okay, we all do stuff like, you know, the chief executive's making a video to talk about the annual results. And we should be saying things like, well, why don't you, before you talk about the figures, why don't you talk about a personal experience you had this year? Or why don't you talk about a, a customer you met or something like that? Give us an example of a conversation you had, that sort of thing. So we do that. We do things like, you know, uh, set them up in meetings where they can talk about things and maybe help them with their slide material so they don't just put up loads of stuff from McKinsey or whatever. Yeah. Um, but then... I think the important point is getting them out there and giving people a genuine experience of them so it then spreads through the organization. I'm trying to avoid using the word viral, but organizations live on myth and rumor and putting them into the mix creates that myth and rumor, assuming that they're consistent and their behaviors are consistent with the story they're trying to tell. Yeah, in, in that aspect, I think it's exactly almost the same drivers that make um, viral so stories go viral in the external side. It's because you you are working together with your audience. Your audience is fueling, you know, the story by participating partly in the story and at the same time distributing it as well. So it's it's it's. I think it's exactly the same uh, setup uh, when you're talking about viral or, or having this story go. A long way and not just stay with the people that were present yeah yeah um Christ. just to uh i think uh yeah the, to round round off or the, the couple of last questions what would what do you think are the the biggest challenges that you see um talking about you know internal communications and with let's say middle management or senior management what are the biggest hurdles i mean if if there would be like you know the top three things that you think really need attention what what would that be for the moment i think for me um if i had a magic wand around around comms and uh, or a one piece of advice for anyone who works in internal comms is get the line managers right and everything else will follow um All this other stuff is is really useful, social media and, and great writing and great uh, storytelling. So that, that's, that's important. But if you haven't fixed the line managers, if you haven't got them thinking about 
you know, knowing it's their job, feeling that they've got something to add to the conversation, feeling that they're skilled enough to actually have a conversation, having the tool, and then in turn feeling listened to. If you haven't got those five things right, then everything else is a waste of time. Um, so if I, could, if I was a comms leader and I could only do one thing, that's what I'd focus on. I'd yeah. focus on life managers. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, now, on, of course, with, with all the new new things, I mean, because I, I did a, a, an interview about Enterprise 2.0 and I'm, I've, I've had a bit of experience in, in you know, these, these new social collaboration platforms, whatever they call them, but... Um, you think that's a, a good thing or, or where would you put that? Is that a support to internal comms or would you think that after a couple of years now that we've been rolling out these things, um, not always in a good way, uh, that they rather are uh, a bit blocking or impeding on, on good internal comms? Where do you stand on that thing? Is that... Well, I, I, I for me, on, on enterprise-level uh, social media... I'm kind of not agnostic, but the jury for me is still out. And yeah. I don't mean it's not going to happen. I think we're still quite high on the hype cycle around it. And I think the actual useful applications of it are yet to really emerge. And, and I'm not really seeing much of them. They will. I, you know, I have faith they will. But I think a lot of the stuff that people talk about, are, you know, uh, I think are, anticipating benefits that have yet to be realized. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, and I think they are good for certain campaign pieces. Uh, I think the maths are against organizations. The, because very few, you know, if you remember that the vast majority of people in this world work in enterprises of less than 50 employees. Um, so the maths are, but then if you go to companies like Philips, the work that they're doing around collaboration and, and sharing is, is, is awesome. Um, and in certain, in certain areas, you know, like, uh, particularly heavy engineering and sales led organizations, you can see them working. The interesting part of the challenge is though, that when I wrote the book, I had a model, a very simple model in my head of what's the point of internal comps. And there were four things, it's to make people want to stick around. It's to make people do their job properly. It's to make them advocates and it's to make them um, embrace change. Since writing the book last year, I've now, I, I kind of accept that I've missed the fifth category, which is about people to feel part of a community and to collaborate. Yeah. Um, and I've missed that category. And I think, you know, when I get around to edition two of the book, um, that's what we'll have to, you know, reflect. And I think that's, that's what's starting to change that question of are we the collaboration makers are is that our job to to get people talking to each other across the organization i think that's quite an interesting um interesting development for us so the jury's uh, still out on that one okay um you before we we um we had the chat before the uh, the recording here uh you were just mentioning that you um do some work now on on the continent Cultural differences in internal comms. What, what is your experience with that? You see them? Uh, probably you do, but, you know, what, what are some good good things? I mean, stories that you have here with, with you know, difference, I don't know, maybe between a, in an Italian company or a Swedish one or... I mean, do you see those? I'm sure you see them, but not only language. I mean, how... how I'm talking about the difference how employees in those countries use 
information, how they understand information. Do you see a difference in that? Yeah, that's a good, good question. I mean, actually, I mean, they're all international companies I work for. And the thing that strikes me is, is not, despite what, you know, British politicians might say, I think the Europeans are very similar in a lot of ways. Um, apart from the French have better wine, I think, than us Brits. But um, there are some differences, obviously, you know, and that's partly driven by so historical. But the big differences are between the continents. So, you know, the a lot of people underestimate the difference between Europe and Asia in terms of comms. Um, so, for example, a European leader would very much see it as their job to to describe a general destination and and hope that people would then feel included in developing the solution. Whereas uh, maybe someone in the Far East would consider that as incompetent. You know, a good leader is someone who gives clear instruction. And then the North American style, again, is different. Although, So I think, and and that can be the challenge, is when you transplant a leader from one one of those big cultural groupings into into Europe or out of Europe. And that's that's kind of quite an interesting interesting challenge. Um, and I, funny enough, I, I, last year I was working in Holland with a guy who was the region, European regional director of a company, but most of his, and he was Danish in Holland, but most of his career had been spent in the Far East. And his comms had been incredibly successful in the Far East. And he kept saying, why can't, why can't my comms here be as good as that? And all the examples he kept showing, you're thinking, yeah, you show those to the average, you know, average, you know, Dutch or Dane, and, and they're going to, they're going to laugh at you, you know, because he yeah. was, very different style or, you know, um, in style. So that's kind of where I think the big differences are, yeah. Yeah, one of um, the, uh, the, the, I already have a, an interview scheduled with someone who specializes in, in cross-cultural or intercultural communications. Um, and I think that will be an interesting one because she's she's from the least, so that's really a different culture kind of of thing. So um, we'll, we'll, I'll come back on that topic uh, in one or the other episode of, uh, of the series. Okay, so... The last one. What was your best advice you ever gave uh, around internal comms, and maybe I'm, you know, to 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 a senior leader? Was that something very straightforward? Or you put him like, you know, this is the way to do it, or, or was it more? So the best advice I've given to date is, you're the boss. Act like it. Um, which was I had a, I had one leader who who thought is. He thought his mission was to be everyone's friend. Um, and my advice to him was, no, remember you're the boss, act like the boss. But that also doesn't mean, and don't get involved in everything. Because if you get involved in everything, no one else can be the boss. But remember, fundamentally, people want a boss to be the boss. Yeah. Uh, so act like it. Yeah. yeah. You, wouldn't want, you wouldn't want your president to be... Uh, you know the guy next door. You don't. You know you don't want your. You don't. You don't want the royal the, the the Belgian royal family to be leaning over the fence and giving you advice on gardening tips. You yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. You want your royal family to be the royal family. Yeah, that, yeah, kind yeah. of. Yeah. Okay. Great stuff. Well, thanks well, good luck with for it. yeah. Thanks for you know these these things always. I always go into these interviews with people and then we go like, oh, you know, we'll, we'll have 15, 20 minutes and we'll cover a lot of stuff. And most of the time we end like three quarters of an hour because it's just so interesting. So, Liam, okay. thank you very much. Have a great evening. Uh, thank you, Val.
Ah, another uh, great uh, session from Wag the Dog, I think, about internal communications. Liam is really a passionate uh, internal communicator, so I, I really like having discussions with these, these kind of people and colleagues uh, from our industry. Hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please go to iTunes, give us a rating, or Stitcher and give us a rating. Uh, any kind of application, in fact, to rate a podcast is really important for, uh, for me, uh, for the podcast, uh, to get up there in the charts. So that would be nice. Also, all the notes from this episode, you'll find that again at wagthedog.fm or onlineprtraining.com. So those are both the websites where you will find that information. Um, if you have comments, if you have tips, if you have questions, please leave us an audio message that I can incorporate in the next show. And um, also for those people who are listening and maybe have an interest in uh, the audience of public relations professionals uh, like yourselves, I will be looking for sponsors for this podcast soon. So if you're interested, just send us an email and uh, we'll look at that. Um, again, thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of the audience of Wag the Dog FM. And uh, see you next week. Uh, next week, we'll be talking about some great initiatives in the um, public relations slash tech space and um, looking at tools, how we can optimize our uh, profession with all those new technologies that we have. Uh, so that will be an interesting one as well. And uh, until then, do the right thing. Bye-bye. Keep the peace.